This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I am Adam. Today we are discussing the third movie of the MCU, Phase 1, the bridge movie Iron Man 2 from 2010. If you want the first half of our discussion on the movie, you can subscribe to the Streaming Circuit podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent-pending Stan Lee rubric, started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. Our previous scores in this category so far have been Iron Man, the original, which got a 49.4, and The Incredible Hulk, which currently holds a 24.55. Where will Iron Man 2 come down? Stay tuned and find out. If you've never listened to the show before, that's okay. My regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time, uses our patent-pending Stanley Rubric to grade movies on their legacy, their impact and significance in the moment of their release, their novelty, their classicness, and their rewatchability. Plus, then we give all of you some points, too, by incorporating the audience scores from both Google and Rotten Tomato users. So, Adam, Legacy is up first, and we usually divide this category between the industry and the public. So, where do you think the industry would judge this out of five on the legacy of this movie? I went with a five and five for me is average. I think what you said seven is your average. Is that right? Your baseline on classicness is that's usually where I start is kind of the low point, especially because we divide the category and legacy between the industry and the audience. Those are five and five. So if you were taking it a baseline, you'd have to divide that in half. So it'd be 3.5 and 3.5. Oh, right. So, so I have a, so I went with 2.5 out of five. Okay. For both. Just for industry, 2.5 right. out of 5. I think that this is very down the road. It made some decent money, which is important, I think, for the industry, obviously, to make money. It certainly made more money than Incredible Hulk and Thor and First Avenger. And it also had a lot of stars in this movie, too. Scar- um, yeah, Scarlett Johansson. I'm not 100% familiar with her filmography, but this has got to be one of the first big roles she had. I would assume is this movie like as a breakout star and no, what was she in before this? Well, she'd done quite a few different movies. She'd done ghost world where she was kind of a supporting character. Her first real big breakout role was one we just covered with our mutual friend, Kieran on uh, my show. And that was lost in translation. She'd also been in a few different rom-coms. I think she'd been in, was it like Valentine's day or something? There was also, she was it in, He's just not that into you, which I think was before this, where she had a whole back and forth thing with Bradley Cooper, where he was cheating on his wife with her and some other stuff. So this was kind of more of a career step than it was the breakout role. But it's certainly the first that I think somebody of your age group would have seen her. Sure. Yeah. I. I yeah. I, so she OK, she was in those. And she's not a huge star in this one. I mean, she's definitely one of the smaller supporting characters. But I mean, this in particular, this character is obviously the thing she will probably be remembered for the most. 
is Black Widow, I would assume, when she's done. Which uh, flies in the face of what we just said on the Lost in Translation pod. Dana was arguing that that would not be her overall legacy. And of course, Kieran is not a MCU fan either. So they were ganging up on me a little bit there. But I, I do think this is probably one of her more famous roles. This is by far her most famous role. There, there is nothing she, I understand she's been nominated, but like in terms of when people think of Scarlett Johansson, there is no way anyone thinks of her character in marriage story over black widow, whom she played 11 times and had a solo movie. And like, I haven't listened to that episode yet. I have, I, I do love Kieran. That's a preposterous take from them. This is clearly her biggest, her biggest character. Um, so, and it was, I mean, Don Cheadle became, I mean, he was already a star, but like, all these people got elevated by Marvel and a lot of them got their start in this movie. And Mickey Rourke is a big star, you know, before this. And he, you're shaking your head. You really don't think Don Cheadle, his star got bigger with the MCU. I think he became a little bit more well-known, but it's not like he's always been a front and center leading character type. I mean, he was in all three oceans movies as kind of maybe the fifth or sixth lead he's been around for a long time, but it's not like he went from Downey to RDJ, you know, certain levels of fame post Iron Man. I think, yes, it raised his stature, but it's not like the meteoric rise that we talk about the Chris's with or something. No, I mean, I guess it's not that big, but I don't know. I feel like these people in the MCU, especially those like main Avengers, like this is a big step. This takes them from one level to a different level of stardom. I feel like. So I don't know. I think this movie, the, the industry would look average on it. I don't think it's a fantastic movie for the industry, but I think it's average. Well, I would agree with you. I had a 2.5 on that point as well. And we'll add these together for our final legacy score overall. But I had a 2.5 specifically because this is kind of a bridge movie. I think if you think of its place in the overall structure of the infinity saga, this is from, or to get from point A to point B. Specifically, we need to introduce X number of characters, and then this has to be leading up to some place where we can start the Avengers movie. And it makes sense. We've already basically audience-tested Tony Stark, Pepper Potts, and I guess to a degree War Machine, even though it was a different actor. And we know that the characters work, So we have something there. So let's throw in a few more balls into the juggling machine and see what we can come up with that will eventually work. Other than that, I don't think this movie has a huge legacy. It's something that furthers the plot to something bigger that was supposed to come along. But we mentioned it on your show that the villain is not somebody that has a lasting impact or legacy. And a lot of the characters from this movie were either changed, modified, or just ceased to exist. I mean, Whiplash dies at the end, like most Marvel villains, and Justin Hammer has yet to be seen again, despite saying, I'll see you soon, very soon, which seems to be like the going line for most villains anyway, so it's really not that big a deal. But, you know, we we got a lot of phase one characters back with this movie, with Coulson and with Black Widow and Nick Fury, etc. So it just is kind of moving it slightly along. If the original Iron Man is a touchdown, this movie's kind of like a couple of first downs. Yeah, that's fair. I agree with that. So as far as the audience share of this one, I had a 3.5. 
I do think that there's a little bit wow. more recognition of this movie, given how front and center it's been. And you and I both talked on your side of the episode that this is one of the ones we've seen probably more often than a lot of other ones, especially from phase one. I think this has been making the cable rounds for a long time. And it's got certain moments that are fairly memorable for anybody that kind of grew up with these movies, or at least I remember watching this at like the midnight showing in 2010. So there, there is some nostalgia with it. I think it's a little bit more well-known in a degree than maybe the original Thor movie. It's definitely more notable as far as the audience than the Hulk that we discussed last month. But, you know, I, I can't move it up to a four or a five as far as the importance either, but it's not going to move too far down for some other movies that we've got to reserve for the lower side of this. So I, I went with a 3.5. I have a six overall for this category. Interesting. I went pretty low. I went 1.5 for the public. Generally, what I've seen is people hate this movie, and most people view it as one of the absolute worst movies Marvel has ever made in the MCU. I don't agree with that. I think it's certainly in the lower third or whatever, but I don't think it's anywhere near the worst. But when you talk of when people like argue what's the best trilogy in the MCU, they go, oh, well, the Avengers movies or Captain America or Guardians of the Galaxy. And everyone pretty much agrees. Well, Thor and Iron Man are kind of over here out of the way because of this movie. I mean, everyone loves Iron Man and Iron Man three, I think is popular enough that it, if the second one was people viewed it better, that trilogy would be up there as one of the best the MCU has ever done. But because people view this movie as so bad and so weak, no one considers it even in like a top four trilogy in the MCU. So I gave it 1.5. I don't think the public really cares for it that much. So that's going to give us an average of five between the two of us. But I will say, I don't know anyone who actively hates this movie. I think it is more fun than, you know, maybe the critics would give it credit for. I think it's, if I remember right, it was my uncle's favorite MCU movie, not just phase one, but just overall. Now, I think the time that he said this to me might have been pre-Infinity War. So I don't know if I've revisited that opinion, but okay. I mean, I can understand that. So maybe we're exposed to some different people as far as that goes. I just, I don't know. I, I guess my issues with the Iron Man series aren't necessarily with this one, even though I think it is incomplete and not a perfect movie, but I actually have more qualms with the third one, which I probably like the least out of the three of these. Oh, okay. All right. This is definitely my least favorite of the three. Uh, again, I, I like it more than a lot of people do, but uh, this is my least favorite of the three for sure. Fair enough. Do you want to go to impact significance then? Sure. Yeah. Why don't you kick it off? So just as a refresher for anybody who hasn't listened to the show before, impact significance is usually the barometer. It's basically legacy, but in the short term. So the first five years after this came out, which may get a little bit more difficult the closer we get to the modern day and the later movies in this series, but we'll we'll try and do our best. So because this is 2010, we're basically looking for the period of 2010 to 2015 as far as ripples. And we again divide the category between industry and audience. As far as industry and the impact of it, you kind of have to give it a few extra points up because this is a bridge movie. It's specifically made to lead us into Avengers, which became one of the biggest movies of all time pretty quickly. And I think that's 2012. So if everything is basically leading up to that and everything is in service to that, 
its impact has to be pretty big. And I mean, this movie, while I don't think it made is maybe it made more now that I think about it. Let me look I think here. It was I, in I had the 600s, I believe. So the budget was uh, 170 to 200 million. I think it topped out close to 200 million, if I remember right. The total box office was $623.9 million, and that's number 21 in the overall Marvel universe. And I think that includes anything from Phase 4 and Phase 5 so far. God, Quantumania would have killed to have that box office. Well, comparative to what its budget was and for 2010 inflation adjustments, that's pretty damn good. Uh, I think it would be pretty close to what I think Guardians 3 is going to top out at if you adjust for inflation. Maybe a little bit below that. I can't remember if it did better or worse than the first film, but I think it was pretty well equal. Like, I don't think they were very far apart. But given that this was relatively successful, led into a much more successful billion-dollar movie, I think I'm going to give a four. I can't give a full five because I have to reserve that for some of the other stuff that we have later on. But I'm going to give it a four because it sets the groundwork. And so maybe you're saying that I basically have to give a lot of these things about the same numbers if I'm going to use that criteria. And I, the differentiation's not as much because everything's kind of leading into the next thing. But that's where I'm going right now with this. As far as the audience, I also gave that a four because I think if I remember right, there was a clamoring. I mean, when this came out, there was a certain sense of what was going to be next. Personally, I saw the first one and I'm like, I like this, but I didn't even know about the original Iron Man cutscene. I hadn't watched The Incredible Hulk at that time. And so for me to see the Thor hammer at the end, because somebody's like, no, you don't want to leave yet. You know, because I didn't know much about all of these stingers and all the other stuff that we've now become so accustomed to. I think there is an audience impact as far as this movie. And I guess the notoriety of... Tony Stark getting another movie or Downey making this character a little bit more his own, even from the first film. And you get more recognizable characters that haven't been recast. So Cheadle now as the official war machine going forward and et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to go with a four. So that's an eight for me. All right. Impact. I went with a three out of five. Echo everything you said about, you know, this movie kind of sets the stage for Avengers. I mean, I know Thor and Captain America still came after it, but this movie kind of was proof of concept that Iron Man wasn't a one-hit wonder. Like, you could continue this. You could make it work. Audiences are still going to come see it. And $600 million is nothing compared to what some of these MCU movies have made. But that's a lot of money to make for a movie, especially if your budget is under control at, uh, at The Flash. So it definitely had a big impact. It's kind of set the table, as you said, for the Avengers and what was to come. For the audience, I went with a 3.5. It did set up characters, Don Cheadle and Scarlett Johansson. These are very famous characters that we you know, fell in love with for a decade. And this movie brought them into the universe and set that up. And like you said, they didn't recast, which was important because each of the first two movies here, they had a big recast. So it was nice that this movie did not have to deal with any of that. And I think it kind of set the table, too, for what the lower end of the bar was for Marvel movies for audiences, too. Because a lot of people, again, have this lower. And I think it's kind of the threshold for Marvel of like, all right, we need to be better than Iron Man 2. Like, we can't have an Iron Man 2 situation. We have to make sure the villain works. 
we have to make because this is really the first movie that the villain like really doesn't work. I mean, Obadiah and Abomination weren't great, but they made sense and they they worked in the story. They just kind of weren't awesome. This movie, like the villain doesn't work. And so this was kind of the genesis of that. And that's even though that's a negative thing, it's still significant that it kind of was the genesis of the villain problem for Marvel. Yeah. Let's move to novelty then. Where do you sit on the novelty for this? Because my marks are not particularly high. I gave it a three. I didn't give it super high. It's a sequel, so the novelty already takes a, a somewhat of a ding, because how novel can you be with a sequel? And the villain is not well thought out, and it's another Iron Man copy, basically, except this time it's like if you put a little dash of Electro into an Iron Man suit, um, that's the villain. So not, a, And the villain is also his origin is basically Tony's like adopted brother, in a way, um, kind of, sort of, so... I don't think there was too much uh, novel about this movie. Well, like, I think the tone shift from two to three is novel. And they brought in a whole lot of other characters and they really kind of made it. To me, three is more of the sequel to this one. This is kind of like Iron Man 1.5 in a way. And so that's why it's probably not novel to me. I went with a four. Again, I think this is somewhat of a bridge movie. It's really not that inventive. Most of the tone and the characters and how they interact is all created by the first movie. Even to a degree, Nick Fury in one cutscene, you kind of knew what he was. You just got a more expansive version of him. So even though they introduced us to a couple of new characters, the only one that really sticks is Black Widow. And outside of that, you know, you get a recast of Don Cheadle, but it's just kind of setting up where they need to move Iron Man in order for him to be ready for the Avengers. So it's just not something that I think was, it was inventive for its genre. I think, and we get to an argument I've had a lot with my dad on the regular show that sequels cannot be inventive. I would disagree. I think there are plenty of sequels in this franchise that prove to be very creative and inventive. Ragnarok comes to mind. I think both Winter Soldier and Civil War are very different tonally than their predecessors. I think that Infinity War and Endgame are much different than some of the other Avengers movies that came before them. So there are examples where you can do differently. Then you can also double down on stuff, as I think kind of the Guardians movies have done. Not that that's a bad thing, but they they got their tone correct, and it was the same filmmaker who was kind of steering it in a particular direction that people liked. And I think that's kind of borne out with what the eventual receipts were for each one of those movies. I went with a four. That's a 3.5 average between the two of us. By the way, I think I forgot to give the average for impact significance. It was a 7.25 between the two of us. Nate, we got to be on that. Come on. Classicness. I have a five. This is... In some ways, mediocre as far as storytelling. Maybe it's a little funnier in ways that than the original Iron Man, but its overall impact just kind of is a middle, down-the-line kind of Marvel movie for me. It's enjoyable, but it's kind of lacking the punch and thrill that I still get from the original, which is why I think there's a big gap between Iron Man 1 and 2 and 3. It just doesn't have the wow moments. Like, the big fights aren't that memorable. The villain's not great. 
You know, it, it just doesn't, other than the fact that this movie's been on a lot in, on cable where you're flipping through stations or whatever else, I just don't think there's anything that's all that big about this movie. Yeah, I would agree. I gave it a four for classicness. I mean, it's one of the last ones I'll think about. I mean, there have been, what, 31 Marvel movies? 32 Marvel movies? I There's certainly, if I'm just like thinking of, oh, man, this movie, that movie, this probably comes in at like 26, 27. Like, it's pretty far down there. There's nothing that really stands out, like you said. The fight sequences, I think there are a couple good ones, but they're really brief. They're really self-contained. They're, you know, they're very just not super memorable. Um, the villains whiplash isn't great and hammer is still yet to return. Um, we'll see when that happens, but yeah, I, I don't think this movie is super classic. No, not like the original for sure. So then for rewatchability, just because I've watched this probably more often than a lot of other probably better Marvel films, I went with a 7.5 again. I think I made the point on your, or your first half, the part one of this series that, this is a fun movie. I mean, even for all of its flaws, it's still fun. It doesn't really drag that much, so it doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours unless you're watching it for a pod and you're just trying to make sure you have enough time to put it on. But if you don't have time crunches and have to do like 60 hours worth of work in a week, yeah, this is fine to just put on and enjoy even by itself. It's going to be flawed, but it's not a drag of a movie. So Tom, watch this two hours ago and didn't finish it. That's what I'm getting from that. Please <laughs> shut it off with seven minutes to go. I finished it before you did. I watched it two weeks ago. I don't know about that. Did Oh, you watched it a while ago, didn't you? Yeah. And then I also rewatched it twice more. You've watched this three times to prep for this pod. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and you only gave it a 7.5. Damn. Um, I gave it a 5.5. I originally gave it a five. I'll bump it up to 5.5 since you went 7.5 to make your math easier. I think this is a fun movie. It's not a movie I am rushing to watch again. You know, I, this is a movie that I guess the best way to explain it. This is an MCU movie that I will gladly watch when I do MCU rewatches, but it's not an MCU movie. I'm going to just put on because I want to watch that movie. Does that make sense? Sure. I think that's kind of how Kieran defined it on our show. If it's on, I will leave it on, but it's not something I'm going to necessarily put on of my own volition. Yeah, like The Incredible Hulk, I was dreading to watch that movie. For Even in an MCU rewatch, I'm like, oh my god, I have to just get through it, just muscle through. This one, I'm like, oh, this is fun. This is, you know, this is a good time, but I'm not going to be just randomly like, oh, let me put on Iron Man 2. Like, that's just not going to happen. And I could agree with that. Question, did this movie need to be made, do you think? Probably or could they just because they kind of left it open-ended at the end of the first Iron Man movie. And even with the cutscene, you had some stuff where you had to move the ball a little bit more. I actually think they could have spaced these out a little bit more and just kind of laid some seed work and then let the Avengers kind of do its own thing. But maybe that's the TV brain in me that likes to slow play things over a lot, much longer period of time. They definitely rushed it. I mean, as soon as Iron Man 1 came out, they're like, we need to make Iron Man 2 right now. Not saying I didn't, I don't want it to be made, but I just wonder, would the Avengers movie have succeeded any less if it was just Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, and then boom, the Avengers? Like, I don't know if it really hurts it at all, if this movie doesn't exist. 
Probably not, but an extra $400 million in profits really doesn't hurt anyone. Well, no, of course not. It does bug me a little bit, though, that, like, because everything is so neat and clean of, like, Captain America has its first movie in Phase 1, its second movie in Phase 2. Like, it, everything's nice and neat, and then it's like Iron Man has boom, boom, and then it waits, and then boom, and then never again. That kind of bugs me a little bit, just from an OCD perspective. I want it to be cleaner. You don't share that sentiment, I can tell. You're I also have OCD, and it does not bother me. Interesting. Okay. Fair enough. Do we like this movie? Is this a good movie? I enjoy the movie. I think whether it's a good movie is a little bit closer. Where does this rank in, among DC movies? Well, oh, <laughs> God. Is it, it's better than any DC movie they've ever made. But it's apples and oranges. Because everything in DC has been piecemeal. And they've tried to compare themselves against each of them. It's not really an apt comparison because if we think that they tried to jump the gun a little bit, trying to introduce the Avengers in what five movies, six movies to yeah. Avengers was the sixth movie. Yeah. Okay. Then the DC universe really jumped it by trying to do a really overbloated Batman versus Superman, which they cut out way too much of for the movie to even make sense and then go to immediately a Justice League before you even get to a Wonder Woman movie or anything else. So if that's what your baseline is, it doesn't make sense. Now, if you wanted to say and judge individual movies based on individual movies as opposed to a larger universe, because I think there have been now three different Batman standalone franchises, I think the comparable to that would be the Spider-Man franchises, except that Tom Holland's in the larger MCU. So it just doesn't exactly fit where you can match it up and really make a comparison in, in my estimation. No, it was more of a joke. Yeah, I know. I take two things too seriously. <laughs> the joke was that this would probably be an upper tier DC movie. Well, because it's fun, probably. Yeah. There are a lot of DC properties that just aren't fun. I would say, yeah, I think this is lower tier MCU. Upper tier DC. So how about that? A win for Saffron. If I'm going to put it in the overall quality scale, it's better than Batman Returns, but not quite as good as the original Shazam in my estimation. Okay, we're spanning all of DC. I like it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing my, my larger rankings in my head right now. There we go. This is fun. Iron Man 2 in the Star Wars universe. Well, just take out the entire original trilogy. That's that's out of the running. I would say it's it's going to be somewhere in between a couple of the prequel trilogy. My guess is it would be between episodes one and two, maybe between two and three, as far as like quality level and enjoyableness. It just depends on how much you really enjoyed. And I remember kids when I was growing up really enjoying the Yoda fight with Dooku. That was dope. See, there you go. He's flipping around. That was dope. All right, where's the rank in the Divergent series? How about that? Well, since I've never watched a single one of those movies, it would be number say. one. Spoiler. <laughs> You're not selling me on watching it. No, don't read the books. The books are good. Movies, not so much. Yeah, I don't know. This is a, this is a fine movie. Uh, a very fine. Phase one mostly is just like fine. Other than Iron Man and Avengers, it's like these are fine. It's ahead of everything in Transformers, Twilight, and Hunger Games for me. How dare you? How dare you? Twilight, 
listen here, punk. Twilight is the greatest love story ever told. Jesus Christ. Okay? You 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 watch your mouth. Twilight is amazing, and I will not hear this slander. I will not hear it. I was afraid of talking politics because thinking you might, you know, at least be soft on Trump. And here it is. This is your real hot take. Twilight is good. Twilight is good. Other than um, New Moon, I think. I, I haven't seen these in a long time. They're great. The the second one that focuses mainly on Taylor Lautner's character, which, by the way, Team Edward all the way. If you're Team Jacob, I don't know what to tell you. You're lost. Your, your soul is lost. The, the one that focuses on Jacob, not good. The other four, slap. I tell you what, those are good. And the Hunger Games, you're not a Hunger Games guy? I've never seen one of them. Have you read the books? Nope. Never read the books, never read the Twilight books, never saw the Twilight movies. I think I've seen one and a half Transformers films, and that was bad enough for me. Those are not good. Don't 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 do that. You're not a young adult guy, huh? Not a not a big What about Maze Runner? You into that? Never got into it either. Jesus, what did what did you and read as a kid? You already know my opinion of the Harry Potter movies. I love the books. I, I hated the Harry Potter movies after three. That's wild. You watched them though, right? You at least watched them, right? No. I have never seen four, five, six, seven, or eight. Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Okay, hold on. Hold on. You hated the Harry Potter movies after three, yet you didn't see any Harry Potter movies after three. How do you know you hated them? You didn't watch any of them. I thought it totally changed so much from two to three. I swore off and said I'd never see another one. And I haven't. Well, each one gets darker and darker. Exactly. It's awesome. I'm good. You're insane. You're insane. How dare you? This Twilight slander will not stand. And that's what you're still going back to? I've given you so much fodder. It is Twilight that you're hung up on. Yeah. I mean, Hunger Games, you gotta... Well, I mean, Hunger Games is so good. I don't know what you're doing there. But th- that's a great series. But yeah, Twilight... Everybody hates Twilight, man. I don't know. I've never read the books, to be fair. I've only watched the movies. Because the books look really long, and honestly, I just don't have time for that. But the movies are good. Coming next week on the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, Twilight Series? Uh, no, I could never get Dana to do those. You, me, and Dana? Maybe no. me and maybe just Dana and I? A little special? God. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that, that that's Tangent City. Ugh. All right, so the average on rewatchability to... <laughs> To bring it back Are we still around. doing a podcast? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, it was 6.5. For audience score, we had an 87% for Google users and a 71% for Rotten Tomato users on this movie, giving us a 7.9. So to recap the categories, we had a 5 average on Legacy, 7.25 average on Impact Significance, 3.5 on Novelty, 4.5 on Classicness, 6.5 on Rewatchability, and a 7.9 on audience score, giving us a final total of... 34.65. And that currently places it. You want to take a guess? I'm going to guess it's not one and it's not three. Correct. It is right in the middle. It is at number two for right now. Nice. Nice. What were the, uh, what were the other scores? So, again, to repeat those, we had a 49.4 for the original Iron Man... We had a 24.55 for The Incredible Hulk, and we just graded out a 34.65 for Iron Man 2. What's the lowest score you've ever given a movie? Do you have? Do you know that? 
I can head? look it up. I think it's The Room, which we did as kind of a joke version because it has no place on the greatest movies of all time. Is that the Brie Larson one? No, that's Room, oh. which I will suggest. Do not watch alone with the lights off on a Friday afternoon after you've had a really hard week. That was not a smart decision by me. Yes, The Room currently has a 23.25. Okay. The next highest one that we've ever given a score on. Now, again, it's adjusted for the Marvel Universe would be The Incredible Hulk from last month. Adjusted for inflation? Okay. Well, just adjusted (laughs) for its placing within what the parameters are. Because I don't judge MCU movies against, like, the greater film universe. Because if we're doing Iron Man 2 versus... 12 Angry Men, it's not much of a contest. Or Twilight. Twilight, 12 Angry Men. Now we're talking. This feels like that episode <laughs> of Parks and Recreation with Will Forte. Never seen it. Couldn't uh, couldn't comment on that. You've never seen Parks and Recreation? I've seen like two episodes, maybe. It's fine. Oh, okay. It just looks like, you know, looks like Hannaford brand uh, office. Hannaford. Is that a lost reference? Do you have Hannaford? You don't have Hannaford, do you? That's a lost reference on you. Walmart brand. How about that? Oh, okay. It's my favorite sitcom of all time. Yeah, it looks funny. Never given a movie in the teens, huh? Movie's never gotten that bad? No, not quite. We haven't gotten to the birth of a nation. Now, when you, because you lost your Oscars bet, you have to do Batman and Robin. Yes, but that doesn't go on the official list. That's just kind of an extra bonus pod. Because otherwise, I had to do one last year for, oh, what was it? Glenn or Glenda. And I think that scored out at like a 13 or something. Wolf. <laughs> yeah, but that's a joke pod. I'm sure Batman and Robin might even get worse than that. I'm I'm going to abhor having to do that one by myself. Maybe you should win your bets. I don't know. I was extremely close. It was tied and it went to In Memoriam and I gave away the winning pick. Hmm. I let him have it out of niceness. When is that episode coming out, Batman and Robin? When I can get to it. Um, especially with uh, now having to study for the GRE and such. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, a little busy. Well, if it comes out soon, it's uh, it'll be a timely podcast. How about I just say that? I'll just say that. It'll be a timely podcast. Why does uh, George Clooney show up? Do you want to know? Sure. He does. He is in the movie. What the fuck? The, uh, Why? Yeah, he, and, and I tell you. It's uh, it's not just one of this movie has a lot of cameos in it, a lot of pointless cameos that mean nothing. His was not one of those. His, the, let's just say the the new universe. I'm not convinced Clooney is not in it. I'll say that. That means the bat nipples have to come back, and that's one of the true crimes in superherodom. Yeah, that's the uh, he ends the movie. Like Barry goes back to the normal universe. He thinks it's a normal his his real universe with Affleck, and Bruce Wayne's car pulls up. He thinks it's Affleck that gets out, and Clooney walks out, and Ezra's like, "Who the fuck are you?" And he's like, "I'm Bruce Wayne," or, or whatever. And then the movie ends. So I I don't think he's the the new Batman again, but I'm not convinced he's not. So I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Strange choice. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of comments online of how the original ending was supposed to go, so yeah. I heard one of the screenings, because the screenings showed a bunch of different endings. I heard from a from a source that I trust, that's that usually that never lies. One of those endings had Pattinson walk out. 
it doesn't make any sense, but I, this person has never lied. So I don't know. Maybe. I don't know either. Uh, I hope, yeah. I got to hope not. But they said that Pattinson was the end of their movie, that he was the one that got out of the limo. Okay. Okay. Just, yeah. So anyway, that'll be a good episode. Timely episode. All, all I can say is, is the only one that can't show up is Val Kilmer. Honestly, they probably called him too. <laughs> and and he was like, are you kidding? Except it would be like Batman Beyond at that point. I would love for them to do a Batman Beyond. I don't know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. I, they, I they think should. that could be really good, but it's, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we already did kind of remaining questions and nitpicks on your show. I have a few extra tidbits of research that I didn't throw in earlier in the episode, if you want to hear those. No, please, yeah. <laughs> Well, I was going to give the critic scores right now for this one are 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, 57 score on Metacritic, and a 2.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. That's a high critic score, 71%. That surprises me. I actually did a did you know for section for the movie, but I, I guess, preempted myself and didn't use it. So a lot of whiplashes identifying features were suggested by Mickey Rourke. He wanted to perform half of his role in Russian and consulted on the character's tattoos and gold teeth, as well as having a pet cockatoo. In fact, Rourke paid for the bird and gold teeth out of his own pocket. (laughs) It's the best part of the movie. I want my bird. That's the best running joke in the movie. So good. I'll get you 10 birds if you want. So Samuel L. Jackson, which is important because I think Secret Invasion comes out tomorrow, was promised that Nick Fury would be given more screen time by Jon Favreau. Jackson almost didn't return to play Fury due to problems with contract negotiations, but secured a landmark nine-picture deal to play Nick Fury not only in this movie, but in many other Marvel Studios productions. And finally, Jon Favreau had a lot of friction with the Marvel higher-ups due to their constant intervention to the point that they were having him rewrite the script as the film was still shooting. In particular, elements such as the increased prominence of the S.H.I.E.L.D. subplot were the result of a need to establish the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, in preparation for the Avengers, at the expense of the coherence of the film's own plot. These disputes got so bad that Favreau turned down directing Iron Man 3. Oh, he turned it down? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought they didn't want him back. Interesting. Well, then they would have recast Happy if if that had not been the case. Well, I don't know. I mean, they could not want him to direct, but still want him to act in it. Uh, with the amount of other recasts that they've done, I find that very hard to believe. It would be a torched relationship, so yeah, maybe. But his name has been floated out there in some circles to direct Secret Wars. So maybe he, I don't know, maybe he's going to come back. Who knows? I think he's a good director, and he's very capable at doing a lot of franchise stuff, as we said on the original Iron Man pod. So it's not something that I I think is out of the realm of possibility, but he's still working on stuff with Star Wars and other pieces of the Disney universe. So who knows? Yeah, that's interesting, the Samuel L. Jackson stuff, too. I didn't realize he almost didn't come back. That that would be weird. I wonder who would play him. Will Smith? Does Will Smith take that role, maybe? Well, I don't know if he originally was actually black in the comics. He was not. I think it was after some Secret Wars thing that they... that they Because I know they based the look in the comics off of Samuel L. Jackson, which, like, the likeness of the character in the comics was Samuel's, and he's, the only reason he signed off on that was be, was if he got to play it live action if they ever made the character live action. Um, but I think before, cause wasn't there some old Marvel movie with, with a couple Avengers and Nick Fury was in it and he was white. I forget who the actor was, but I don't remember. 
yeah, there there was something. I don't know, but yeah, he didn't always. He wasn't always. I don't remember him being in any of the Spider-Man movies. So the only other one before like this current crop of MCU stuff. Well, I guess the um, two Fantastic Four films would have been. No, in this there. was like the the Captain America movie from like the nineties oh. or something. I okay. think he, I think Nick Fury was in that movie. I, I don't know if I've even seen that movie, but I believe he was in. it. I definitely have not. <laughs> Didn't make the superhero movie madness bracket. Surprise! If I'm not watching Twilight, I'm definitely not watching that. Twilight's better than that. Come on. I wouldn't know. I'm never going to watch either. Robert Pattinson. Give me a break. Kristen Stewart. Give me a break. Taylor Lautner. Eh, give me a break. But, you know, good. I, I watch a lot different quality of stuff. What's that supposed to mean? Huh? What's that supposed to mean? I have better uses with my time. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this month. Thank you for listening. Whoever so holds this hammer, if he be worthy shall possess the power of Thor. Next month, we are discussing the fourth movie in our crossover podcast with Thor from 2011, directed by Kenneth Branagh, screenplay by Ashley Edward Miller, Zach Stentz, and Don Payne, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Stellan Skarsgård, Tom Hiddleston, Kat Dennings, and Sir Anthony Hopkins. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnyduncanstudios.com, sign up for our newsletter, find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast, or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Marvel Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ronnie Duncan Studios and the streaming circuit. The show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.